Good now? Check, check, check. Okay. Jeremy says we're good. All right. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be taking a look at verses 25 through 34. Um, And uh, as you all are turning there, I've observed in my 43 years of life that when it comes to anxiety, there tends to be three types of people. Uh, There are those who self-profess that they're worry-free, and they probably actually do at some, some point. And then there are those who worry every now and then, depending on the circumstance. And then there's the rest of us that have memberships at a place called Anxiety Acres. Um, we dwell in it, we worry, and uh, so often we do not, I know I do not, um, confess that and take it to the Lord and approach Him when troubles, even seeming troubles, come my way. Um, and regardless of where you are this morning on that spectrum, hopefully the Word of God will speak to you this morning. Chances are, if you're one of the, those who profess to not be worriers, you've probably got someone near to you that does worry. Um, and it's always a good thing to go to God's Word for encouragement to share with those around us, even if we proclaim to not be worriers. But uh, one thing I want to clarify before we get into the text this morning Not all things that are called anxious or not every time that the word anxious is used in Scripture depicts the type of anxiety that Jesus is addressing in the passage this morning. For example, Paul in some of his letters will say, I'm anxious to come and visit you. I'm anxious to see you. Um, I I feel that sort of anxiety too or that anxiousness, that excitement Uh, when friends and family are coming to visit, or if I know I'm going to see a friend who I haven't seen in many years. uh, That's a a righteous, that's a good sort of anxiety, or at least in the context of the use of the word. What Paul has in mind here, or not Paul, but what Jesus is addressing today uh, is a different type of anxiety. Um, And the take-home message uh, today is that what the, the type of anxiety that's being addressed is one that enslaves. It holds us captive. Um, by focusing too much on our future circumstances or problems that may not even quite be there yet, it can cause us to not see our Heavenly Father for who He is. And it can also cause us to not serve the kingdom and be focused on doing the work that He has called us to do. It's a debilitating sort of anxiety um, where inaction is one of the prime symptoms. So let's read from Matthew chapter 6 this morning. I'll start in verses 25. We'll read through 34. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are incredibly grateful for your word, for the correction and for the promises that come from it. Lord, grant us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the hearts to receive the seed of the Word of God and plant it deep into our hearts this morning as we take on this subject of worry and anxiety. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're following along in your bulletin this morning, the insert, our first point is that Jesus establishes. Jesus establishes. And the question that he's posing here is, how will citizens in the kingdom live? So Matthew, in his letter, is writing to display Christ's sovereignty, his kingship, his authority. Much like John, as we've been studying, is writing to display Jesus' deity as the Son of God. Matthew's taking the setting of it being his kingship. And so the setting we find ourselves in today in Matthew 6 is where Jesus has been teaching to the crowds along the Sea of Galilee. It should sound a bit familiar um, based on our, our current study in John. But Jesus is drawn away from the crowds and he has his disciples up on a mount. And specifically, he's talking and teaching about the new requirements that it's going to take as citizens of the kingdom of God. And these requirements are different. They have different intentions. These requirements focus on the internal condition of one's heart rather than the external or outward behaviors that had been stressed by the religious elite at the time. The Pharisees had created a system based on the law, but it was far from being truly reflective of the meaning of the law or the law's intent. And so Jesus is beginning to challenge the teaching of the Pharisees, and he provides several examples in chapters 5 through 7. And any time you occur this challenge, you'll see the phrase, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And these are specific examples where he's taking a teaching that the Pharisees have been teaching, and he's changing it to reflect the true meaning of the law and the true intent of the law. And so one of the things that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount is that true disciples will be marked by the character associated with these new requirements. The other main goal that Jesus is stressing here, especially when we get into chapter 6, where the subject of anxiety and worry is taken on, is that his disciples, and here's your first two blanks, they must learn how and why to avoid anxiety. And so there's four principles that we're going to find ourselves interacting with this morning. These are things that 
come out of the text that Jesus is wanting to make really clear to his disciples. And that's that anxiety can blind believers from seeing God's providence. Anxiety can blind believers from seeing God's providence. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. It's useless. Anxiety can distract believers from serving the kingdom of God. And anxiety is always fixated on some future circumstance. And so Jesus now begins to take, in our passage that we're looking at this morning, he now takes the action of reminding his disciples of who their heavenly father is. And we have two overarching themes in this first section this morning with verses 24 through 30. And these arguments are given by Jesus to his disciples not to worry. And these extend throughout the whole text this morning. Those two things are namely that God is our sovereign creator and our caring father. So you ready for your next blank? He is our sovereign creator. Let's read in verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So right out of the gate, we're struck with the word therefore. And the command to not be anxious appears three different times in this text. Um, and the word itself, the word anxious itself is used five times throughout the text. And each of these appearances is accompanied by a word therefore, which means that Jesus has already stated some reasons why you should not be anxious. And he's delivering a series of these arguments to the believers here in a logical order. So let's start with the first therefore. Just above in verse 24, we get our reasons for that first one. It says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus has just wrapped up this teaching on laying up treasures in heaven, and he ends that teaching by saying this very uh, dichotomous, splitting um, statement here, where you have to choose. You cannot serve God and money. And what he's trying to get here with this is that we have one master, one master that we are to submit there for, and he is our God and our sovereign creator. And when we see the word money in this context, the Greek translation is mammon. And that translation equates back to our earthly goods, our possessions. It goes far beyond currency. It goes to the things that we have, hold, that we would consider assets in our lives. Um, and so what do we prize and cherish in our life? Those things may be good in and of themselves, but when we begin to worry about those goods and possessions that we have... We're beginning to, if we're not careful, we can begin to question God and his sovereignty. And, and if we're truly being honest with ourselves, when we think about these good things that we have, they can include our kids even, our families, our jobs, our money, even that vacation you want to take. These are things that, if we're not careful, we can cling a little too tightly to. But nothing we have is truly ours, is it? Nothing we have is truly ours. As believers, we should see that all of our belongings and even our families are good gifts from God. 
James mentions that in his letter. And they're to be used wisely, but we need to hold them in, in loose hands, not, not tight, closed fists. And most importantly, these things, these goods and possessions we have, they should not choke out our spiritual growth as believers. Jesus addresses that in the parable of the sower when he's talking about the third type of soil and how the cares of this life are like weeds that can grow up and, and choke the seed from growing. And what we're going to go on to encounter here is that if we're submitting to his lordship, then all these things should come second to him. We have a decision make. We have one master to serve. And as we read on in the latter part of verse 25, he now poses the question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? His idea he's getting after here is one kingdom. Jesus is now telling them, don't be anxious. Because if you've pledged allegiance to me and to my kingdom, then there's more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. These are basic needs, but I often feel that as Americans, we've, we don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from for most of us that are sitting in this room. But for those in Jesus' day, it was a little bit different for them. Any natural disaster, any famine, any pestilence could come along and disrupt their food supplies. Rather than living paycheck to paycheck, they lived crop harvest to crop harvest, butchering season to butchering season. And if anything disrupted that, their food could become scarce. And so the minds of those in the crowd that day would have had been much more inclined to be able to absorb it, even as us here in the United States may not as much today. But again, for another lesson on this, go ahead and flip back to John 6. Jeremy was there last week. He did just a great job teeing this up. Flip to John chapter 6. And as you're getting there, again, what Jesus is telling them to do is to look beyond these basic needs. These basic needs that consume their work, consumes their efforts, consumes their minds, and to consider eternity. That's what he's after here. And so in John chapter 6, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And if you remember in ABF and some of the discussion afterwards, the crowd had missed the point, hadn't they? I mean, Jesus is right there in front of them telling them what needs to happen. And, it, and they're missing it. And what does Jesus finally end up saying to him? You don't want me, you want my food. And this should do two things. It, it, it should point out it should point out the fact that food is important to them. I mean, they were willing to go around the sea to try to get to Jesus to get this free food. I mean, I've been known to take my kids and pack them in the van and drive them to the library for a free hot dog. <laughs> so I'm not coming from a place of judgment here at all. 
I am fighting a cold, which is why I sound like a 13-year-old up here. No offense, young man. But, again, it should emphasize the importance of food to him, one. The second thing that it should do is to point out, again, that Jesus is saying our work, the work of the kingdom should be our eternal food. We should consider that our food. And you, you, can, go to, you can go to John 4. I'll, I'll read there. I'll pick up in verse 31. Um, but if you remember this account, he, he's been with a woman at the well, and, and he sent her off. They've had their conversation, and she's been uh, enlightened by his teaching, and, and he run, she runs off to, to get people and bring back. And so if we pick up in 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is saying, Look beyond just my need for food. There's so much more to accomplish. We have work for the kingdom to do. Don't take your time worrying about these things. It's a waste. Seek the kingdom. So let's begin to move on. And one of the questions, I guess, before we do that even, is that we see very plainly what Jesus is living for here in this text. And that's to do the work of the kingdom, to serve the kingdom. And worry is a distraction to this. The type of anxiety that's discussed in this, it is and can be a distraction for serving the kingdom and this one mission and what we're truly living for. I know that sometimes I still look at my life and I think, Lord, don't take me before I'm old. I'd hate to go out as a young guy. I've got so much that I want to see and do and, and enjoy with my kids. I have a terrible fear of missing out when it comes to that sort of stuff. But I've come to learn that this may actually be a sign that maybe I'm living a little too tightly or hanging on too tightly to these things. That I should have much more of eternal perspective on my situation and on my life. But how great of it is that Jesus takes the time here to remind us that we are to be devoted to him and not commit ourselves to worry. Because, because again, his mission, his mission will provide us our true treasure and our true nourishment. And so let's, let's jump into 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more, how, mu how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now we move to the next point. Abundant provision. Abundant provision. And I have to warn you of something. I'm a bit of a bird nerd. I had two people talk to me this morning about birds. 
So I guess, I guess that information's out. Um, and, and I say this because we do have a limited amount of time. Uh, and if someone needs to get up in the back and cut me off, it'll probably be my wife. But um, I mean, I, I, we have three different bird guides. I've got a Reader's Digest on birds. I have two college textbooks on the subject of ornithology. To say that I enjoy birds is an understatement. Um, my, my kids even have some flashcards with birds on them. So it's, it's, it's something. Um, so with that said, though, I, I do want to get back to the point of Scripture here. Jesus is going to use birds um, as an obvious reminder of God's provision and his ability to provide for us. Um, and, and the first example I want to share with you uh, comes from a show called BBC Wildlife. Like 20 years ago, um, I came across this clip again while in college. Um, and in a Japanese city, they had filmed crows trying to crack nuts and eat them. Now, crows and most any bird species have certain types of beaks for the certain types of food that they eat. So a crow is going to eat different foods from a, as a woodpecker and Raptors or your birds of prey are going to eat different foods than your finches. But crows weren't designed by God to crack nuts. So these crows, they have it on film, you can YouTube it, as I've already mentioned, had figured out that we want these nuts anyway. So they had grabbed these nuts, flown over city streets in Japan, allowed cars to run over them, and crack the nut. But then, but then the crows realized that now they put their life in jeopardy because now they got to fly out in these busy streets to get this food that they want to eat. So this is where God's handiwork is really on display. And, and we must give him credit. Science will say that they've adapted to do this, but I give credit to God on this. The birds determined to eat these nuts figured out that if they took the nuts to a crosswalk and dropped them from the crosswalk, the cars would still run over them. But eventually the cars would come to the stop at the red light and they could fly down, walk across the crosswalk and pick these nuts up. I'm not making it up. It's on YouTube. Right? Everything on the internet's true. But isn't it amazing? I mean, these crows determined to eat their food did that. Now, the next example I want to give, and I, I got to give two. I'm a bird guy. Owls. Owls are one of my favorite species. And owls have these comb-like bristles at the tip of their primary flight feathers called fimbriae. Okay? It's not a Greek word, I don't think. So anyway, they have these fimbriae. And what these fimbriae are designed to do is to break up airflow over the wing. What does that do? It allows them to fly very, very quietly. And so what would be the advantage from God's perspective to allow owls to fly quietly? Because the food they eat have been blessed by God with giant eyes and giant ears to hear things in the dark. And so these owls, owls can fly in undetected to their prey to get their meal. And so Jesus' point here this morning, if God provides for the birds of the air, he is abundantly able to provide for you in your worries, in your cares. 
Now, he does go on to talk about lilies of the field. And I'm not a plant person. Um, and I'll spare you the, the grade school lesson on photosynthesis to, to simply make this point. God, in this example with the lilies, goes beyond function. It points out their beauty. He points out their beauty, which is incredible. And for more on that, you can go to Psalm 104 and, and Job 38. Those are just some incredible passages detailing this. So this brings us to our first point this morning. Anxiety can blind believers from seeing God's abundant providence. Anxiety can blind believers from seeing God's abundant providence. Now that's not in your notes, so don't, don't wig out. We'll talk about more of that in ABF maybe. So our next point, verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Now the idea here is that we, we can't really add any time to our life, can we? We can't. Uh, we, we can try to diet. We can try to exercise. And we can do things to try to make our bodies a little bit more likely to live. But we can't, with any certainty, extend our life. And that's the point Jesus is making. He's saying, he's saying that anxiety accomplishes absolutely nothing. And it's as useless as trying to add an hour to your life. So what does worry accomplish? Nothing. Nothing. And in Luke's account, it, it, it even uses the wording a little thing as this. A little thing. And when you think about that, we live in a day and age when we've got so many amazing advances in medicine. We've put somebody on the moon, right? We've got technology that is beginning to get a little bit scary for some of us. But, but all that to say is we still haven't figured out how to increase life by an hour. Not even by an hour. And so our second truth right here, bang, bang. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. And so our next point, our outline this morning, is we move from he is our sovereign creator to he is our caring father. Our caring father. And the point here that Jesus is making is that we should be confident. You're blank there, confident. And he poses the question, I've already touched on a little bit here, but are you not of more value? And we can look at verses 26, the latter part of verse 26, um, where he says, are you not of more value than they? And after he describes the flowers in the field, he says, How, will he not much more clothe you? The idea in view here is, is that he's going to take care for you. Take care of you. And if he cares for the birds and the grass and all the things in his creation that he just simply spoke into existence. How much more is he going to take care of those that he's called to be part of this mission and are made in his image that receive the very breath of God through Adam? That's our point here. He cares for us. So be confident. Go ahead and flip to 1 Peter chapter 5. When I think of confidence, I often think of Peter. Now, he was very ebb and flow before Pentecost. He was an emotional guy. I can, I can associate a lot with Peter in that. And as you're flipping there, let's think of Peter. 
let's think of Peter. Let's think of his past. Let's think of what he went on to do in his preaching and teaching and his letters. And then we come to this in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll pick up in verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter makes it abundantly clear. Let's take our cares to God. The moment we begin to feel anxiousness creep up in our souls about our circumstances, about our goods and possessions, about our families, let's take those anxieties and put them directly on our Savior. He wants to do that. He wants to take those. And then you think of Paul in Philippians 4. At one time, one of the, my wife forgot she did this, but I, I, I've always been an anxious guy. Um, some families trace lineage. I, I would guess that my family at some point traced, traced stomach ulcers and everything else because we were a bunch of worry warts. And um, my wife, the first summer we met, scribbled out the whole Philippians 4, 6 through night on my, on, on my forearm. Um, I kept going to her with my problems and she wouldn't have it. So she said, here, just memorize this. And and, and think about about that. Paul's in prison, right? He's writing this letter and he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer, through supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've had to call on that promise plenty of times. And I think many of you all in this room have experienced that peace that falls on you when you do so. So Jesus now finishes this argument, though, about a caring father with a stinging comment, right? A father's also known to discipline. We can't just be all fun and games all the time, right? We have to be the discipline. And it's a comment that we've seen throughout some of the other Gospels, And it generally points out some of our shortcomings when it comes to faith and to a point where anxiety can be a sin. Again, it's a certain type of anxiety that is a sin. But the next comment, the next phrase here is, oh, you of little faith. And your blank there is believe. We are called to believe. And when we see this phrase, we don't have to go very far before we think of Peter again, do we? Right? Matthew chapter 14, Jesus appears to his disciples on the water. We don't know the size of the boat. (laughs) But we know that Jesus is walking on the water. Right? And Peter calls out, Lord, if that is you, Jesus just said, hey, it's me. And what's Peter say? If that's you, Lord, command me to come out. Peter gets out on the water and he begins to walk. And as he gets there, he begins to doubt. He feels the waves, starts getting a little nervous and anxious, and then begins to doubt, and he sinks. And as he's sinking, he cries out to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Both in that lesson and and in ours this morning, in Matthew 6, he's acknowledging the extent of our faith, of Peter's faith. And again, the type of anxiety that we have in view this morning is one that removes God's providence 
from the picture and is accompanied by inaction. It's a, it's a debilitating sort of anxiety. And I would argue that, that this type of anxiety is a sin. Let me read this quote to you. Worry is not a trivial sin because it strikes a blow both at God's love and God's integrity. Worry declares our heavenly father to be untrustworthy in his word and his promises. To avow the inerrancy of scripture and in the next moment to express worry is to speak out of both sides of our mouths. Worry shows that we are mastered. Again, cannot serve two masters. Worry shows that we are mastered by our circumstances and by our own finite perspectives and understanding rather than by God's word. Worry is therefore not only debilitating and destructive, but maligns and impugns God. John MacArthur. We shouldn't dwell in anxiety, just like we shouldn't dwell in any other of our sins. Those are, when we feel anxiety creep in our heart, one of the best things we can do is confess that and pray and cast our cares on him. Our third point, Jesus calls. He has this question here that what should set us apart? Remember, he's got these new teachings within the Sermon on the Mount. And when it comes to worry, there should be some things that set us apart. Jesus is calling them to be distinct. And he does that by providing a necessary contrast, your blank contrast. He says, even the Gentiles seek after these things. As believers, we are commanded to live differently from the rest of the world and to do so in a way that honors God. That goes all the way back to the law that Moses received on Sinai. And you all know this, but the law, it provided civil order, it provided structure to worship and life in general for the people of Israel. But the true purpose of the law was to set them apart as God's chosen nation, to make them distinct. So when we react to circumstances with this self-centered, debilitating, paralyzing anxiousness, we're no different from the Gentiles. Think about that. When we react with our, our worry up, we're no different from unbelievers. No different from unbelievers. And so Jesus now goes on to provide one of the only positive admonishments throughout this passage. He's, he said, do not, do not. But here he's actually saying do. And your next blank there is priority, B. He gives them the priority. And, and he's going back again to the point that he made in verse 24. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is redirecting them to what he's already spoken of. He's reminding them. We cannot serve two masters and that there's more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. He's reiterating that their focus should be on this one kingdom that he's establishing. These new requirements of citizenship are tough and they may seem difficult, but as believers and to the disciples there, they were, they were to pursue them anyway. And the encouragement that we can take is that if the Holy Spirit has sealed us as believers, 
then the desire will be there. Even when our will and our strength may be weak. Rather than being enslaved by worry, we are to give ourselves in humble service to our king. We're at war in this life. There's no doubt about that. And and Satan will use worry as a distraction. In ABF, we'll take a deeper dive into this. We'll talk about the screw tape letters there. So join us if you want. But the point again here is that Jesus wants us to not worry and to remain focused on the kingdom that he's establishing. So what's the application there? Serve the church, serve your neighborhood in a biblical way, pray for boldness to share your faith with coworkers and family, seek ways to serve your community, but with a focus that is wrapped up in the mission of the kingdom of God. And so what does Jesus now say when we do seek the kingdom? He gives us a promise, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. He will provide for his children. Many of us would say that we're abundantly provided for by God, no doubt, right? We have blessings that we are so thankful for. But I would argue that it's often easy to trust in this provision as Americans. We live in a country where abundance is the norm. But what if that changes tomorrow? Just watch the news. That'll get you worrying about things that are a possibility, right? What if the dollar does continue to go down? What if we're slung into a recession that mocks the Great Depression? What if we're struggling to find our next meal at some point? See how easy it is to begin to ask what if and begin to worry? But here's my point. Does the promise that Jesus gave his disciples that we just read, does that, does that still stand in those circumstances? Absolutely it does. He will take care of us. And as we grow in faith and maturity, the Holy Spirit will begin to show us what our true needs are. I'll read an example uh, from Philippians 4. Verses 19. Verse 19. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And and Paul closes out that passage. He, He goes on in verse 19 and says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will take care of us. And if there's ever been an argument against the prosperity gospel, we just read it. If if you think about Paul, you think about what he had gone through. He wrote letters from prison that we now call books of the Bible. He was chased out of towns by mobs. He was stoned, nearly beaten to death countless times. The guy's not asking about the what ifs. He's not worried about him. His energy and focus is not on himself. He's content. He has the mission in front of him, and he's helping others. He's building them up, even from within prison walls. 
And his focus is on today, the here and now, which brings us to our final point here. And I'll move rather quickly. Your last bl- one of your last blanks there, Jesus aligns. Now he's saying, where's our focus? And your final two blanks there, I'll go ahead and give them to you. Today and not tomorrow. Today, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And then point B is not tomorrow. And the point that Jesus is making here again with his disciples is that anxiety is always fixated on some future circumstance. Think about that for a second. Our focus shouldn't be on some future problem that we have. Often when we're worried, (laughs) we'll often find ourselves worrying about something that's not even a real possibility yet, or it may not even come to pass. I'm the king of hypothetical cares, right? I remember last year I had a health scare about this time, and I started picking out songs for my funeral. I mean, you can ask my wife. She's nodding her head. She's, she's not denying it. It turned out to be a kidney stone. It was a big kidney stone. But it wasn't the, the life-ending problem that I thought it was at first. I put the proverbial cart before the horse. And to Paul's point, to Paul's example that he's setting, he's focused on the here and now. And what Jesus is saying is the same thing to his disciples. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Jeremy, I know he's made this point to me, and I've heard it from some of you all. He may have gotten it somewhere else, but God will give us the grace we need only when we need it. If I'm worrying about my deathbed and it turns out to be a kidney stone, that's one thing. But the point is, don't worry about that because God hasn't given me the grace to deal with that yet. That's incredible. So I'll go ahead and invite the worship team up so that we can get to our closing song. And as they come up, I'll just take a moment to reiterate these four points. Anxiety can blind believers from seeing God's providence. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. Anxiety can distract believers from serving the kingdom. And anxiety is always fixated on some future circumstance. So in closing, do not be anxious. Because we have a sovereign creator who's also our caring heavenly father. And he gives us a great mission to be focused on and to participate in. Let's pray. Lord, we are so humbled by your word. We are grateful for the teaching that comes from it. And we know that as your children, you call us into a great mission, into a great work of one kingdom that should be our focus throughout this life. And when we feel ourselves worried about the cares of this life, our goods and possessions, Lord, your message is clear. Do not worry. I will supply your every need and I will be your abundant provider. 
We're so grateful for that promise, Lord. May we meditate on that. May we absorb it. May we honor you by learning to put off anxiety and to put on the work of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.